I remembered that I saw myself from above, and I looked down at my body in so much endless pain and agony. I saw the three men from the rescue team that were present. They were working very hard to get me back. I also saw that my body was put under the shock of a defibrillator about eight or ten times. I also saw my daughter, who had arrived in the meantime, and the emergency doctor. While I was looking at the scene, I was actually feeling every emotion from every person in that room, all of what they were thinking. Miss Dowster, in 2011, you had a near-death experience. Would you like to talk about what exactly happened? Yes. It was the day of Corpus Christi, 2011, and the day before I had not been feeling well. I had some pain in my stomach and some pain in the sternum, and still I didn't think it was that important, because I used to have pain in my stomach from time to time, so it was not that unusual for me, and I thought a dislocated vertebra is also not unknown to me, also not that unusual, so I thought, oh, it can't be too bad. I had a relatively good night's sleep, but when I woke up on the morning of Corpus Christi, I was not feeling well at all. I had arranged to go on holiday that day. I was planning on spending four days in the beautiful city of Murano, in northern Italy. And somehow there were two voices within me. One of them said, this is nothing important, maybe a dislocated vertebra or something. And the other one said, no, my dear, you really must get going and do something about it. That could be something serious. And at that moment, I was already holding the telephone in my hand, in the middle of these two voices arguing. I was already calling the ambulance for an emergency rescue. They arrived in nearly no time at all, and I had welcomed them and told them about my pain, and they started with a check-up for my heart. And they quickly saw that there was evidence that I had already had a heart attack and survived. They ordered an ambulance and an emergency doctor for help while I was talking to the medical personnel and telling them about my holiday in Murano, telling them about my impression that I obviously had a dislocated vertebra or something. When I saw they had put a wheelchair for me in the middle of my living room, I told them, what the heck, I'm going to walk to the ambulance. You don't need to take me out of here in a wheelchair. I don't really recall that they put me in the wheelchair. But I was told that two of them were wheeling me out, while the third one was on the cell phone, talking to the people at the hospital, in order for them to get a cardiac catheter ready for me as soon as possible. And he was the one who realised then that I had collapsed. He told me all about it weeks later. 
So they turned around immediately and put me down in the hallway and started to resuscitate me. So this means you were actually clinically dead? Yes, I had ventricular fibrillation and no metabolism, nothing at all, and had to be resuscitated. What did you experience during that time? What can you actually recall? I was only able to start to remember what had happened after my physical recovery was complete. Only then had I regained enough strength and energy to actually be able to remember the near-death experience. Because the first time I remembered it, it felt as if I had to go through it once more. And that was really, really bad for me. The beginning of it was very bad, and after that it became very beautiful. I remembered that I saw myself from above, and I looked down at my body in so much endless pain and agony. I saw the three men from the rescue team that were present. They were working very hard to get me back. I also saw that my body was put under the shock of a defibrillator about eight or ten times. I also saw my daughter, who had arrived in the meantime, and the emergency doctor. While I was looking at the scene, I was actually feeling every emotion from every person in that room, all of what they were thinking. The emotional chaos my daughter was in, I felt the emotional strain that she was under, as if she was flung back and forth in an emotional turmoil. I also felt all the emotions of the rescue team, their feelings of helplessness during the resuscitation. The beginning, they were absolutely stunned. How could this happen? Nobody had counted on that. And also, when the emergency doctor arrived, I saw and felt all that, and it was almost impossible to bear, especially to see one's own body in these repeated shocks. I wanted them to leave my body alone. I tried to make myself heard. I whispered into the ear of one of them. I plucked his sleeve. But of course it was not possible to get in touch with anyone. They were totally absorbed in their own actions. And I wanted my body to be left alone. Please, leave it alone. One of these men told my daughter in the hospital later on that he had served as a rescue team member for more than 20 years and that something happened to him that had never happened before and cannot happen and was not possible. He had felt that during this resuscitation I actually tried to push him away from my body with both hands. That is absolutely impossible. But this is how he perceived it? Absolutely. And then I could not bear it any more. I couldn't bear it. I couldn't look at it all any more. And then I left. I just left the room. I mean, my soul left. Very slowly and very sadly. I say that my soul was weeping about looking at its own body. I found myself at the side of a wonderful, crystal-clear creek, and I was weeping into this creek. And then I got up and went on, and suddenly I was at the top of a mountain. There was no higher path upwards, 
And then I said, help me, I don't know what I should do. And then suddenly the universe, or the heavens, opened up above me, and I was standing in this wonderful light. The tangible and visible love of God. It flooded me, my body, and the whole mountain, and also the valley below, as far as I could see. It was everywhere, this wonderful light. I experienced an infinite, an endless sense of well-being, and I was calm. From these moments, all the earthly pain where I had come from, from this scene in my hallway, all the sadness and misery was absolutely gone. It was just love, just divine love present everywhere. And then I heard a voice that I knew very well from my childhood, saying, you know very well what you have to do. You must go back. And I know this voice from my childhood, because then it used to tell me that the soul is that part that accompanies the body everywhere, and that the body needs the soul, in life as well as in death, and that without the soul the body cannot live and not die. And I knew it. I actually knew that I was not allowed to stay there, because my body was actually lying in between two different worlds. And that was very difficult for me, to go back. I didn't really want to go back, but I knew my body needed me. But it took me 27 minutes to decide to go back again. I was also very much afraid of having to look at the scene in my hallway again. To see this body in so much pain and agony again, if I went back, I didn't want that at all. Then I actually took one step higher, even though there was no way to get any higher. But then I was, I just absorbed that love, that tangible and visible love of God that somehow permeates everything. And then I also saw some very beautiful colours, all colours of the rainbow and infinite, endless shades and gradations of colours in between them. They were wafer thin and moving to and fro as if they were intertwining. There was sometimes the shadow of a face and then it was gone again. Before I could really grasp it, it was gone again. I couldn't really grasp anything. But it didn't really matter, it was just beautiful. And those colours don't exist on earth. Imagine the most beautiful colours and the brightest colours on earth. And everything is, the shine is missing. The love is missing. And I believe I had a discussion there as well about whether it was possible for me to stay. I didn't want to go back. But at last I went back, or I was sent back. But I didn't have to go through that situation in my hallway another time. After 27 minutes I came to, and I was back. 
You have had other near-death experiences during your life before that. When did this happen and what exactly were the circumstances like? This had happened way back, decades ago. It concerns my childhood. I had a very bad childhood. If I ever decide to tell anyone, people will say, that is impossible. Nobody could survive all that. I repeatedly survived severe physical injuries and letting go and leaving my body. The very first time I just screamed inside, good God, please help me, because I knew nobody was there. No one was there. Nobody could help me. My body was actually nearly dead every time, and my soul left every time. But my near-death experiences were totally different from the one now. As a child, it all happened in the wink of an eye, in an instant, through a tunnel and into a light, and every time I found myself on a wonderful, beautiful meadow with unbelievably beautiful flowers, and either my guardian angels were there or I met a shepherd, a shepherd with a flock of snow-white sheep. And I was always able to ask my guardian angels, and also this shepherd, all the questions that I had, because I was not able to understand, with my logical powers, how people can actually do such things to another human being. And I received answers to all of my questions that I, as a child, could understand as well. And I was always in that light. This light was always identical. In my childhood, it was the same as in 2011. There was no difference. It was the same at all times, and it didn't change at all. When telling other people about your near-death experiences, how do you feel about that? Is it a kind of taboo subject, or do people show some kind of acceptance? Yes, absolutely. I think it is still a taboo, but it doesn't get swept under the carpet as much anymore. As long as you start talking about it, it's not a taboo anymore. This is what I have experienced. I would consider myself an authentic person, and people have known me for decades. I started to remember my childhood about 15 years ago, and people know that I have talked about the near-death experiences in my childhood back then already, and people have shown a lot of support then and now. A lot of people couldn't believe what had happened in 2011, and a lot of people also prayed for me while I was in intensive care in 2011. And a lot of people couldn't believe their own eyes when I was already running around two months after that day of Corpus Christi. They were all wondering how it was possible that I had recovered so fast. That was also the case with the medical personnel and my doctor, a cardiologist, and the whole rescue team. 
They had no explanation for the fact that I was so fit and had recovered so quickly. They couldn't explain why after 27 minutes of resuscitation, I had no damage at all. No physical or mental or emotional damage. This was a little miracle, actually. Looking back at your life, do you see more of a game of chance in it, or do you see some meaning or purpose in it? Do you think there is a purpose or destiny that you have to fulfill? When I look back at my life as a whole now, I have to say my life was very hard, but always, again and again, I received help from above, divine help, so that I could manage to walk that path. And I've also... This help from above is very varied. Suddenly you have people at your side who walk with you. Since my last near-death experience, I have found acceptance and have been able to talk about the fact that death doesn't mean the end of life or that life goes on and how it does go on when we leave this earth. And my experience is, and my life has taught me this, that nothing happens without a purpose. Every word, every thought, every encounter with other people is important for each one of them. But it is also part of something much bigger. How things turn out in the end, you might only realize and recognize that years later. Maybe at once, maybe it is not our task to know that. Maybe it is not our own task to see that final picture at all. And it is very hard for me if people ask me what this light is like what it actually feels like. Because here on Earth, in our languages, there is no word for that. No word exists for it. I've tried to make up a word for it myself, but with this limited human brain, for God, for the divine light, there is no other word. Divine light is divine light. No other word exists for that. The human language has no word for it. It is simply wonderful, endless, and infinite security, infinite and endless peace, an endless and infinite love. All those feelings that we know here on Earth as well, but they have so much more. More depth? Exactly. Feelings that I have never experienced, not even in my happiest moments in my whole life. Most people are extremely afraid of dying. That is why death is such a big taboo in our society. You are someone who has had several near-death experiences. What is the most important message that you would like to pass on to people? The most important thing is that we don't have to be afraid of dying. It goes on after death. And this life after death has nothing to do with this life on earth. Everything heavy is gone. 
It is without space and time, and still we are in some sort of consciousness and in our own identity, but without the heaviness from here on earth, without the heaviness of thoughts that we have on earth. And there is no reason why we should be afraid to die. I personally no longer have any fear of death. I'm only afraid of a situation where I would have to live for years in very poor health and maybe not be mobile anymore. This is the kind of worry that I have. I hope that when I am finally allowed to go, at last, then I might be allowed to go fast. This is my intention. Thank you so much for this interview and for letting us know what you have experienced. And all the best for your future. Not at all. And all the best for you, too. <laughs>